On Facebook, we got called out by a listener who is also Lexi's mom that I found out after the fact for Lexi giving a bad information on our Rosemary's Baby episode. <laughs> when she was talking about the haunting, she was actually talking about Gaslight. When she was talking about the inheritance thing, I was like, what are you talking about? And she kept going on about them gaslighting a little bit because they keep telling her that it's all in her head. I'm like, I don't remember this part of the story and I forget things a lot, so... I was just like, all right, maybe her memory is better than my memory. And then she was called out on it on Facebook, and she said that she would issue an apology on the next episode that we recorded, which is this episode, and she's not here. I'll give her the chance to send me a, a recording apologizing to our <laughs> listeners for giving us bad information. We can't be lying to our listeners. You can't be gaslighting our listeners into thinking <laughs> the plot of The Haunting is gaslight. It's right Fucking right. rude spend all that time making a cool episode and you have misinformation in there it's ridiculous we don't want to lose people's trust no now we're moving into a cool theme it's a very loose theme actually 187 which is I thought you were gonna say Chuck. I was like, wait, I was like waiting for you to yell murder. Yeah, it was just simple. It had to involve murder, and we got a. I mean, me and Chuck's are kind of similar, but he has a classic film noir. I am all about my film noirs, you know that. Yeah. Just popped up, didn't have any particular plan, and I don't know why. This one just came to mind. I think it's a pretty interesting movie. Yeah, I could cover more noir. We did noir a while back, probably like 2018 or 19 or something, where we did two of them in one year. We did film noir, and then we did the neo-noir. And we did that because we knew James wasn't going to pick any classic film noir. So let's split it up and do two of them. And we didn't do Laura because there are 500 film noir movies from, yeah. what, like a nine-year period almost? They were they were cranking it. I guess it's like technically 14, yeah. This is one we... I don't want to say overlooked, but we had a lot of other ones to go through. I mean, nothing's overlooked when we're putting out, what, 30 episodes a year? It's, yeah. We're just slowed down. We just can't do them all. It's literally impossible. This is from 1944. So I think it's a great movie. Directed by Otto Preminger, who's not a super huge known director. I mean, he has a couple other ones. Like you mentioned earlier, I think I always forget that he did uh, Anatomy of a Murder. I think it's probably this film and that movie are probably his two most famous. Yeah, I would say this is easily his most famous because when you hear film noir and people are bringing up movies, this is probably one of the top five movies that I hear about over and over again. It's easily Laura, Double Indemnity, Maltese Falcon, Touch of Evil. This did win an Academy Award. I think it was his only film that won. He was nominated for director twice. It won for black and white photography, right? Black and white cinematography, yeah. And that was still a thing when we still had to differentiate that there were black and white and color films coming out in the same year every year. This was the best black and white version. Way to split it up. I caught that Ben Mankiewicz TCM opening for Laura, and he was talking about how him and the Preminger and the producer, like, they butted heads, and they didn't want to, like, work together ever since. He did a movie a couple years earlier, I want to say it was called Kidnapping or something, or Kidnap, and they hated each other, but apparently when they were making this movie... Preminger wasn't the original director. There was another director, but the producer hated him too. And he's like, I hate Preminger, but we're seeing eye to eye as to what this story is. We're the only people that agree on this version of the script. So this is what we're going to do. And uh, like you said, I think this boosted his career. I don't know how many movies he's made that's real popular. I've watched Fallen Angel, which he did the next year, which is another film noir a lot of the same cast. Plots actually, it's close. <laughs> and then, yeah, Anatomy of a Murder a couple years later, and I can't think of anything off the top of my head that he's also known for. Well, you decided this movie like six months ago. Well, there was something else that was in recent memory with him, but I can't remember what it is. What do you want from me? I have a terrible memory. This is kind of like the prime of film noir, 1944, because... Maltese Falcon's 39, that's pretty much the start of it. And we said the final is probably Touch of Evil. Yeah. That's like 55 or something. Yeah. I love Noir, too. I think it's great. 
it's one of the weirdest genres because it's also like not a genre. It has roles, but then it's also like, eh, you don't really need to have that. You have like no femme fatale and they're like, eh, it's, it's got the hard lighting. Yeah, yeah. It's film noir is almost more of an aesthetic than an actual genre because i mean the last time we did film noir we did sunset boulevard that's considered a film noir even though it almost doesn't have any of the typical film noir plot points like it doesn't revolve around somebody getting sucked into a weird murder and it doesn't have that kind of intrigue it's literally just kind of a crazy woman who still wants to be a a big star and lives in a kind of a weird fantasy life where she wants to pretend that that's still what her life is but everyone still considers it a great film noir even though it's mostly just because of the lighting and some of the plot structure of it, but it still doesn't really have all of those. And Lara doesn't necessarily have a lot of the big elements, like you were saying. It, uh, it's one that doesn't have a femme fatale. It's more, but it it's all, more it seems a, like it could have a femme fatale, which counts for something, I guess. Yeah, uh, but it revolves around the murder of a of a woman. Maybe one of the strongest. They don't they don't obviously show anything. It comes in after the woman's murdered, but. It is very, like, graphic in their descriptions for, I feel like, 1944, when most of the time, a lot of film noirs are all around people getting poisoned, or if they got shot, it was like they got shot in the gut, and they're, like, slowly dying, like, telling their story about how this led up. This one starts off with, oh, I mean, most of her face was gone when I uh, had to identify the body by her eyebrows or something like that. Like, like the face was gone, and she got, uh, you know, took a shotgun blast at, at close range. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, it is extremely graphic for something that most of the time when they're talking, they're kind of like dancing around how awful certain things are. They're like, oh, I loved her. She was a good girl. But yeah, you can see her face because she took a shotgun to the face. So it was, it was pretty much one of the most brutal things I've ever seen. And then another character another character will be like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've seen somebody that had a shotgun to the face before too. So. Yeah. Yeah, they got, yeah, a lot of them talk about, like, it, it being in war or something like that. It's like, oh, trust me, I've seen seen plenty of people get their faces blown off. Like, and yeah, we have a... Uh... Yeah, yeah, sir, you're at a Wendy's. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, I was having a flashback. Uh, I was having PTSD. We have, uh, you know, this film does have a, a detective. Uh, that's always a common film noir trope. Uh, he's an interesting... He is an interesting detective in that he doesn't seem to really care that much about anything. Like, he definitely does want to solve this case, but then he's he's constantly doing weird things. Like, he has he has just very, very unusual methods. He's always playing with that little pocket uh, baseball game where he's trying to, like, get the beads on the on the bases there, which, like, annoys everyone. Which really him. makes me think of somebody on their cell phone they're like can you quit fiddling with that thing while i'm talking yeah, to like you the first fidget spinner for for somebody like <laughs> like he pulls that out and ever as uh everyone's always getting angry at him for why he's doing that and he's just like it relaxes me like it, it literally is just a fidget toy that he plays with when he's trying to uh think of the next case i don't think we ever we never actually do i, see I literally had that, that toy i think it was my mom's toy which is it's says little round beads and you have to get them on all four bases on a baseball field. Yeah, yeah. Like that's it. That's all it is. Yeah. So he's trying to he's trying to investigate this uh, this murder, and he just he he calls the the witnesses in and tries to take them by surprise, or he he just wants to show up at people's houses. Uh, so he's an unusual guy, uh, which I feel like all the men in this movie are very odd. They're all very strange. Like almost, it almost has like a weird. Uh, I want to say kind of a like more of a feminist type plot in that all of them in this movie are seemingly very creepy and I, I wouldn't trust any of them. They're all it's they're written all by a woman. Them. Yeah, yeah. The the original the original novel is written by a woman, so yeah, it definitely has that aspect in the film as well. Where uh, the the three primary men are one is a guy that she met who I guess is a famous. He seems to be a famous columnist who also has a radio program of some type or it's very vague on what his job actually is other than sitting he's in a my favorite character typing. hands down he, yeah he's a he's an interesting character uh and he's just he's just a social like i don't know you describe him as like a socialite who dines in fancy restaurants and then writes columns like pretty much taking people down he, he like writes columns columnist. on his typewriter in his bathtub and that's how we're introduced to him <laughs> when he's talking to the detective and when he gets out of the bathtub and he's like hand me my robe 
The main character has such like a weird look on his face and a just smirk. Like, just like, okay, yeah, it's like it's like <laughs> the implication is like, was it larger than he expected or was it tiny? He he's definitely uh, on the spectrum of homosexuality. I think I, he, he's just like he's I like. Feel like it's definitely hmm. yeah, it's definitely implied. They uh, again they couldn't some things that they still weren't allowed to say in like the 1940s in film. Uh, with those type of codes was definitely that he was the effeminate guy who's, uh, you know, he's forever a bachelor because, you know, well, he just has really good male friends or something like that. Like, he, like that's how his character seems to be described, is that, that he, uh, and that's why he hangs out with this woman, but seems to have no real sexual relationship with her. Like, there, he's, he pretty much is written for 1940s as the gay best friend. Uh, but he is seemingly obsessed with with her and with wanting her around, even though he doesn't seem to be uh, like romantically attracted to her. He just wants he pretty much just wants her attention is all he wants. He doesn't want to he doesn't want to have to share her attention with anybody. Uh, and uh, the character that's currently trying to steal her attention is Vincent Price, who I think this is probably one of his earliest roles. He's very he's extremely young. If anyone's used to seeing Vincent Price in like more of those horror movies later in his career like he's super young doesn't have the mustache yet and has a, a goofy kind of southern accent the accent always stays with him but to me it's weird seeing him as a heartthrob uh, yeah. although all the vincent price movies i've ever seen what i'm seeing doesn't ma- ever match the character that he is on screen like he's a heartthrob but he's a weirdo or he's this like very intelligent socialite but he's he's really not saying anything that crazy you know what i mean like he's always seems miscast yeah (laughs) like he's just a yeah he's such a weird i don't know i love vincent price he's great but he is such a weird guy like which yeah again like you're saying like seeing him as like the romantic lead in this film where everyone's like oh that that shelby which is his character's (laughs) name and i'm just like he still just seems like a weird guy he almost i almost feel like he his later persona in a lot of his movies feels like uh the other character the the guy that's her best friend like that yeah guy, that guy's character feels like what he started getting his other characters on like later in later in his career is like the weird kind of kind of has a vaguely like uh effeminate air about him a little bit uh i might be gay and yeah. i might have killed you yeah we we don't know uh but yeah he's a uh, He's the other man uh, fighting for her attention who is, uh, I guess, a phony is how he's presented. Like, his family used to have money in the uh, from where he's from in, I can't remember, in the, somewhere in the south, like Georgia or something where he came from originally. And uh, they, they've seemingly lost it all, but he comes out and pretty much just tries to pretend like he's still still is wealthy. But he, he just borrows money from everybody and lives off of everybody's uh, charity, basically, until... Uh, Laura gives him a job, which he says he's never had a job, and everyone laughs. His his friends laugh at him when he tries to ask for jobs because they think he's a, they don't think he'd be a real good worker because he's he's lazy and entitled and hasn't ever had to really work for anything in his life. So no one gives him a chance. You're building up the suspects very well. Yeah. Almost everybody. It really it really is everybody is a suspect when you're watching this movie. Every single person seems to have motive to have committed a murder like this, you know. Yeah. Whether it's the the story or the money or jealousy. Yeah, there's different there's different ideas for who who could kill her, and the detective tries to again tries to have his different different methods at getting getting things out of people. Uh, he invites the the housekeeper in while he's sitting there reading all of Laura's diaries and love letters and which everyone seems to get offended that he does that uh she gets mad and puts everything away and tells him like you need to quit reading that and uh uh her gentleman friend uh has like the same reaction like i hope you didn't read our letters to which he goes yours are the best <laughs> which he takes as a great compliment he's like oh yeah mine, mine are the best i do i do agree with that i <laughs> you'd certainly hope he does he's a writer uh but yeah, he slowly, he slowly becomes, the detective slowly becomes obsessed with Laura as well through all the recollections that we get and from reading these letters, uh, 
seems like he pretty much starts to, you know, develop some sort of an attraction, which uh, her friend Waldo, he's the one that brings it up of, of oh, is it, is it very common for, for uh, detectives to fall in love with corpses? I would say yes. It probably does happen more than, more than most people would think. Uh, yeah, he gets he gets a little. Not old. even just in real life, which I'm sure it does happen when you're investigating somebody's life. For you'd know them better than anyone else has ever known them their entire life from your investigation. But generally, it happens in a shit ton of movies that I've seen. The person's dead, and they're falling in love with a dead person from all the information they're finding. Yeah, he's trying to figure this out. Uh, but yeah, everyone everyone does seem to have some sort of some sort of motive for it, and we keep getting those. It, it keeps going back and forth between Waldo and Shelby as the two characters that seem to be at each other most times. Where you know they go to Lara's apartment, and he's like, well, "Do you know where the key is to her, to her country house?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, it's uh, it's definitely somewhere in here." Then they come back later and. Yeah, he says, like, oh, they, they looked in that drawer. That key definitely wasn't there. And he's just like, ah, you got me. I was just trying to make sure no one knew I had it. So you immediately... Mm-hmm. He keeps casting a lot of a lot of suspicion on uh, on Vincent Everybody. Price's character. That, that he, he keeps constantly being up to something. And he's always got he's always got some sort of answer for everything or why he was lying about something. They definitely want you to, want you to feel like it's him. Then later, when he starts bringing up, uh, he kind of goes into full on. I've got the best lawyer in town, and he said you're, you know, you had me under duress. You can't do this to me, and there's no way any of these charges will stick. So yeah, he just it just keeps digging him further and further in. Is like, oh, this guy has to be the one that that killed her because look how you know over the top he is with his defenses and constantly bringing up uh, how it couldn't possibly be him. Even though more Let me ask you this. On. In the very beginning, Waldo is clearly a suspect, and he asks to follow the detective around to get the story, and the detective allows it? Why? <laughs> Why do you think that is? This is the 1940s, man. You could, uh, you know, yeah, you could just show up at crime scenes and hang out. It was uh, like, let me write the story, even though you're a suspect, even though I'm a suspect. Hmm... Okay. He's like, I'll allow it. Uh, yeah, I'll allow it. Well, again, this. Like, <laughs> you we sound were, like a ref. Yeah, I'll allow it. It's it's. The, uh, it's good. It's uh, it's just that that detective. He's got his uh, he's got his unusual methods. This and that's one of them. Apparently, it's it's throughout the whole movie. Everyone keeps asking why he, you know, oh, why are you letting him follow you around? And he's like, oh, I don't know, because I want to see what he'll do. So he's a very, yeah, he's an odd. Even for a film noir, I feel like uh, the character of the detective is a very unusual, uh, has like a very weird thought process on how he's going to do it. Uh, he's not the narrator of this story, so again, another uh, not a typical film noir guy who's giving you his every inner thought. And really, he doesn't give you his thoughts a lot. Most of the scenes play out with him playing with that toy while everybody in the background is like yelling at each other and basically giving you more more information to go on of with him just sitting there so i guess that's his his uh how he operates is pretty much just put all the suspects in a room and let them let them yell at each other and then he'll figure it out just by listening to what they say to each other and he doesn't really have to do anything so he's just a very unusual detective i have a, a slight problem with the narration because it does set it up like it's being told from the journalist's perspective because he opens the movie with like all oh, this wait until you hear this story but then there are scenes where he's not even fucking in the scene so I think how would he know this like you would think that it's like oh I know this because I was in I was there for all these moments and he's not so it feels kind of muddled as to who's the narrator of the story some of the times it kind of makes you not trust anybody like I, I kind of had a distrust for the detective watching this movie. <laughs> like even he might be the murderer. Yeah, you don't know. Seems like a film noir thing. But like, who? It was the person investigating their own crime. It could happen. But yeah, then, then we get the this film's biggest twist is uh, 
in <laughs> the middle when we find out that that oh my god Lara is not dead and she hasn't been dead this entire time uh, <laughs> which which then even I, the movie does like a good job of making it seem like uh, well first they have to figure out who who actually was dead uh, and then it almost immediately goes to man maybe Lara is the murderer in this movie like <laughs> I thought she was a victim like it does a complete 180 to is she just actually the killer this whole time because everything yeah. she says is very convenient like like the how, the, the how three prime know? suspects in who killed Laura is Waldo, Shelby, and Laura. And Laura herself. <laughs> yeah, it's you know it's Craig. We killed comes, somebody. Yeah, she comes into the to our apartment to find the the detective, which yeah we were told earlier that she was she was away at her country house that that's why she hasn't been around, uh, and I think they say like we sent cops up to the to the country house and it was like oh i was i must have been uh out in the woods or something like you know walking and it was like oh, okay so you don't get newspapers there no what about your radio it was broken which then we find out later that uh the radio wasn't broken at all and it's like i thought she said your radio is broken oh right before i left i told the uh handyman next door to fix my radio while i was gone and it's like everything everything she says is just way too convenient of a of a you know story, then then we find out that she's got a shotgun there, and apparently even uh, uh, Shelby, her fiance, believes that maybe she actually was the murderer because he goes there to to get rid of it or you know do something with it to make sure that nobody uh, nobody would suspect her. Because then we it, that's when we find out that the woman that got murdered was uh, the person that Shelby was apparently having an affair with. Which is just a long list of people because it's also their other friend that he occasionally goes to dinner with and borrows like thousands of dollars from all the time. Who's the one that's actually truly in love with him, or she can say she's just the only one that can afford to to keep paying for all of the all of the things that he's gonna want. I love the moment that is pre cheaters, which is them show uh, Laura showing up at the house and pushing past the the maid and catches them having a private dinner and it's like what what is this what, what's going on here shelby i'm like this is it's cheaters yeah. somebody saw that and was like oh we're gonna make that into a show yeah that was, that was the original idea yeah when they when they walk into and they're like oh we're here to see uh we're here to see shelby and the and the lady of the house and the maid's like they're not here and waldo's just like oh i know and just like and they just keep walking right past her like she doesn't even try to argue with them they just they're just like we're just gonna walk around the house uh, I think that's funny too because I think more than anything it's a how stories were told back in the day and not how people actually were. So I I can't imagine watching that in 1944 and you know you're probably really like fuck this fuck that and then they can't say anything like that in the movies. They can't show that they have a sexual relationship. They have to imply everything. Because, like, I, I don't know. It's weird. Like, they have a made... I think when Taki started, too, they really had, like, a made-up language dialogue for that people do not, do not talk that way at all. Yeah. And the film noir... I mean, this one doesn't really have it too crazily, where, like, they usually have, like, the fast-talking, uh, like... The, the adverbs and everything that they're using are like insane like they literally just must have like a dictionary out as they're they're doing it because like I don't even see these people regularly using these words uh, yeah they like they won't call somebody a whore they're like she was Same. a uh, she was a smut bug and I was not a smut bug yeah I was a dame yeah dame is what that, uh, she was dame a dame I'm not a dame anymore times, yeah that's that's what that's what Waldo tries to say because she she seems to eventually in the end like she starts falling in love with the detective the same way that he was obsessed with her and and that's a Waldo says like you know he calls women dames a dame on the south side you know took a took his jacket one time or however he phrases it <laughs> uh which yeah so yeah I, I i do love things like that when it's you know uh, yeah constantly something it can't be what you're what you're truly saying it has to be it has to be like code for something and every like everyone in the audience is like Oh my god! Like that. Like I feel like they're probably sitting there with like their kids or something, being like, "Oh my god, that language they're using. He's he's calling women dames, <laughs> yeah, dames and dolls." Yeah, those, those he like hates two, women. Those are your two codes for for oh he yeah he's 
He's he's uh, he's a woman hater. He said dame. He's misogynistic. Yeah, yeah. He called her a dame. That's got to be it. But yeah, we. Uh, it is funny to watch these movies too, and the women come out and they're wearing like the most conservative dress, and it's like, hey, whore, why are you wearing that? You know, like it's like, it's so funny to me. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, it's like the Amish. Like I can see your ankles. I can't believe you would do that. I can't believe you'd leave the house like that. <laughs> I'm I'm disowning you right now. Yeah, the I I think like you said the biggest twist and I think what makes this movie so special is that literally halfway through the movie you find out that Laura is still alive. So it totally changes the story and it makes it way more interesting from that point on because I I did like Waldo, I did like Shelby. I I liked these individual characters, but maybe it's because I'm watching things out of order. I'm not living in living through the 40s and watching them as they come out so i don't really know what's technically like original or what i've seen a million times that's been replicated from this but yeah what uh when they flip it on its head it's such a refreshing moment in i mean you don't even have that in a lot of movies but it's uh we i mean recently we had it in gone girl so it's like yeah just like a nice halfway flip in the middle of the movie to freshen things up and have us reevaluate the story and it changes the entire case and it changes the suspects because now that not only is Laura a suspect, we're like, we were looking for motives for who would kill Laura. And if Laura's not dead, then are Waldo and Shelby even suspects for whoever this person is? I also love like forensics in these movies back in the day where you know they're always like i'm sure it's happened i'm sure people have faked their death by killing somebody that is is similar in body stature and everything but it's always like they had a scar on their hand or a a ring that they would never take off so like that's the reason that's how we know that this was this model woman from (laughs) yeah they have like a weird reasoning for for why she was wearing laura's clothes for some reason like it it also get a little a little convoluted and well why would someone think that was her well she was wearing her clothes why well uh, yeah just because she was <laughs> she came <over laughs> that's what women do and everyone <laughs> Laura just leaves her keys everywhere apparently because there's like multiple times or but how could you get in oh I know she keeps a key in her office and it's like how'd you get into this one? Oh, she keeps a key under the doormat I'm like fucking Laura just leaves keys fucking everywhere mm-hmm. that's how everyone gets into everything they all just they all just know where she keeps the keys yeah, or, yeah uh, or like I like some of the reasoning for things. Why, why did they even open? Why'd you even open the door? Well, they knew I was there. The lights were on. Yeah, yeah the lights were on. I wasn't gonna fool. Because <laughs> back in the day, no one had lights on. Lights on when they weren't home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you did not leave. The, you did not waste that electricity like that. The uh, which, that's uh, and that's that's closer towards the end of the movie. That's more than halfway through, but uh. That, I think, is, like, kind of the first big, I guess, uh, hint towards who the killer is going to turn out to be because there's only there's only one person that's mentioned, like, multiple times, like, that he's always he's always walking by and sees her lights on, like, and and it's Waldo. He, he talks about, oh, I walked by and I saw the lights on and she was in there with that artist and, you know, then I, I had to write a real bad review and talk about how terrible of a person he was because she'd dump him. And then he brings up again, you know, that he knew when she blew him off for their dates. It was like, oh, well, I saw her lights on, so I knew she was home. Like, she said she wasn't going to be home, but I saw her there. So he keeps bringing it up multiple times, and that, that I guess, is like the first the first real hint that he could be the, the suspect is when he said, well, they obviously saw the lights on, and it's who else is always looking for her lights to be on? Nobody else seems to care that much, but Waldo's obviously very obsessed that you know, it makes you wonder, like, is he just outside of her house, like, every night looking to see if her lights are on? Is he that much of a of a stalker? Yeah, I mean, he is um, domestic abuse 101, too. Like, even when they're having their relationship, it's this awful controlling relationship, which probably was more common at the, during the time. You know, a lot of women submitted to these men in these relationships, and I think that's kind of what the author was, like, pointing out. Like, he is a pig-headed piece of shit so he should be a prime suspect but yeah like everything that you saw him like 
whenever Shelby started showing an interest in Laura, Waldo was like, like, no, 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 no. You don't talk to the other men. Yeah. But then he also had that, but then they had that, like, like how we talked about where it's like, he definitely seems like he's gay. So what is he angry about? The con- he's like more concerned about controlling a person than yeah. At least that's how he came off to me. Yeah, that's definitely it. It's definitely he just he just doesn't want her to to do anything. Well, it's I guess that's the the thought is that if she goes off and has a family with somebody like she then she can't go. They can't have dinners on Tuesdays and Fridays like they do, and she can't just come over and hang out and just you know listen to all his words. He's obviously very a very egotistical man. He thinks that his his opinion's definitely the best, and that anybody. That oh, he is because like an idiot. When they go to their introduction, where she's trying to get this story on him, and he's calling her rude because she's interrupting his dinner or his lunch. It's his lunch, uh, which I like the table set up by the way of just like no seats on the one side, like it's totally a, f- a film thing. I think, but. He doesn't become interested in her till she he finds out that she's really not that interested in him. That she's just trying to tell this this story. Like I'll like I'm not the one coming up and I'm doing it for you know, the story. And then he shows up because he 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 wants to feel important and he is important in that. That's probably the scene where he's the most important is where he shows up at her job and that guy's like I don't even know who he is like the editor or something who's like hovering over his neck <laughs> like breathing down his neck and it but from like that point on like they they have this relationship where like everything's super fancy and that's his like more or less trophy wife without being a wife and then when they meet Shelby like it all starts to fall apart from that point on yeah I do <laughs> there's a, like there's a random moment again going back to were cops allowed to do this back in the day of uh, when the detective just punches Shelby in the in the stomach? Like when he's like, he's like starts going, "Hey man, I don't think that's fair," and he just punches him and knocks him down <laughs> as they're uh, as they're taking Laura away because he wants to uh, he wants to question her at the station. He needed to he needed to he like used her as bait to see if uh, again that's that's what he does. He he lets people uh, he gets people there and I don't know lets them interact and then just watches their interactions, but. Uh, I was like, oh, look at that police brutality. And everyone in the room is just like, ah, oh, I guess that's just what cops do. They just punch people. <laughs> like, no no one. I would agree no it's mad. more what cops do. Yeah, not not what they're allowed to do. They had no body cams back in the this, day. So I'm sure people were getting fucking knocked out by cops. And they're like, what are you uh, going to do about it? This movie definitely also has like the, which I feel like this is this is also very common of films set in this time period too, is that, uh, for a for a long time, like like cops are basically looked as at as like almost not good people. Not that they're not that they're actual criminals, but like nobody likes the cops. No one in these neighborhoods wants to talk to him. That's what the one uh, the cleaning lady says to him early on when he's there uh, uh, reading her stuff, and she's like, "Yeah, well, my dad always taught me when you see a cop, you spit," and she like hates it. She just hates that he's a cop in general, uh, which I guess is just like that attitude of. Uh, just stay away from them. They'll they'll beat you up or something like that if you uh if you start any if you start any trouble, he's just gonna break out his uh billy club and start beating you over the head and, and killing you. Yeah, and I mean that still happens today. There's lots of people that you know they're they're not like you know find the cop. It's like avoid the police. They're gonna overcomplicate things and make things worse for you. Yeah, that's the history that we have. Yeah, still there. And then this uh. I don't know. I feel like maybe this was probably the first one to to use this this kind of idea, but I've seen it. It's very recently popped back up in uh in another neo noir type uh show, uh, which was the uh the show Ryan Johnson did with um uh Poker Face. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't think of I couldn't think of the title of it. But that's like that's a neo noir thing and uh did you watch that? No, I I had friends that worked on it, and they're like triggered at any time I bring poker face up because I guess it was such an awful experience, and then it started getting all this like critical acclaim. So they're like, I'm like, you're gonna be hearing a lot oh. about poker face because oh, it's apparently you worked on a good show. 
Yeah, that's interesting. But uh, yeah, there's there's an episode uh, that basically the entire plot, uh, almost every single one of the episodes is not. Uh, I won't spoil anything because that's a more recent. You know, this movie's from 1944. If you haven't watched it, I mean, that's your problem. But uh, for Poker Face, all, all the episodes involve a character dying, and then uh, she has to go back and figure out, you know, who and why killed them. So it's it's very much got, got these noir elements, but there is an episode that 100% has the ending of Lara in it where a character is recording something, and it's not till the very end that you realize that that was a recording on tape and that it should have... Uh, it should have had like a sound in the background of something that was happening at the time and that's how they figure it out but uh yeah the way they do it in this film when he tells her like well yeah listen to my radio show i'm talking about uh historical romances that were doomed or something like that and then as, as she's sitting there listening to the thing and again th since this must have been brand new technology they really hype it up they're like you just heard the voice of waldo lidecker through through recording audio technology and then she's like oh god <laughs> like that's the like, technology's the real villain in this in this film uh at the end i mean the audio it's like they've been recording things for technically for decades at this point so but the audio but i guess is new back <laughs> that's that's how they hype it up is that they played it back from from audio that was apparently their. How the hell new, did they do music? Technology. They didn't record music at the time. It was just, just always records, live. Man, they just uh, they just sat a record. Well, that's a recording. Record. Yeah, but, I, but they try to hype this up. Think as, of as something think of the word record. record. <laughs> yeah, but it's not instant. Like I feel like that's that's yeah. what they're trying to hype up that that he recorded it like ten minutes ago and they're playing it right now. Before it would yeah you would have had to like get an actual. An actual record player. Someone would have had to print it, uh, press the record onto something. I think this was probably the first time they had the technology of someone, I don't know, just sits there and records their voice and then plays it back ten minutes later straight to you. That's us. That's podcasting. Yeah. He yeah he he had the first podcast. That's what we're saying. <laughs> Waldo Lidecker, the <laughs> the father of the podcast. <laughs> Which yeah we uh. And yeah, we we find out that he's the he's the murderer by the uh, the cop goes to his house, sees the we're we're told that they have matching uh, grandfather clocks at his house and in Laura's house, uh, which that's almost a moment I I, I feel like that kind of like skims over how he even figures out that there's that maybe there's something in the in the grandfather clock. He's he's at Waldo's house when he's not there. And he just starts like messing with the grandfather clock and opens up the front and figures out that the it has a hollow space, which then he just kicks in. And I'm like, well, I really hope he's right when he goes the goes back to Lara's house. Otherwise, he just he just wrecked this guy's antique grandfather clock by kicking it in. But he he which uh, would have been a that great risk. moment for the movie to like pull the rug out from under you had he like kicked in a clock and there was nothing there uh, yeah well he does well there's nothing in that one but he but he looks at it and he goes but he, there's a compartment uh, there's, so. yeah he's like there's a compartment i bet there's one in the other uh clock which that's where he he finds the shotgun uh but yeah which i love he goes to her house and he, he doesn't kick it in he just goes uh is there a way to like open this thing like he tries to be he doesn't want to just immediately uh destroy it at her house which that yeah and he obviously Waldo is probably the only person that would know it's there because she even says that she wasn't aware that there was a compartment on the clock at all. Which she could be lying, but we're we're in the uh, end of the movie, so yeah, we got to trust that she's she's telling the truth. Right, we got to get we're getting somewhere. But yeah, then they, yeah, or, or it'd be great if she set him up. You know, they kind of went that route. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like I said, this movie, yeah, this movie doesn't have a, a real femme fatale unless. Unless, yeah, that's just something that we're not aware of, but... Uh, <laughs> we're not told that it was a yeah. trick. But no, uh, Waldo comes in and gets his shotgun back out again. Which, yeah, I, I think you said before, too, about, like, the the cops that are, like, real bad at forensics back in the day. Like, he grabs the shotgun, but the detective gets the shotgun first, and he uses a, he uses a handkerchief to touch it so he doesn't he doesn't, like, put his fingerprints on it. But then he does open it up and takes out the shotgun shells with his hands, and he's, like, putting fingerprints all over those. And I'm like, well, that's probably where, like, your maybe best chance of getting a fingerprint was someone would have had to use their hands to load those 
load those shells in and probably would have touched them. I mean, the people people. writing and making these things back in the day were not getting forensic files and shit like we have 24-7 now, so... Yeah, well, they don't have now either, where it's like, if you were to make a movie about police or something, they always hire, you know, 20 supervisor, you know, consultants to come on and sit there and say, you know, uh, cops wouldn't actually do that, or... You know, when police actually go into a house, they do this to to clear it. Like now, we they, yeah, back in the day, it, yeah. was, it was just them making it up. It was just like I had a show like that. It was that. the FBI? We had the real. We had the real. We had real FBI people as consultants. Yeah. yeah. So that yeah, back in the day, it was they were just they were just making up their own stuff. Like I bet this is how the cops really do it. Fingerprints don't stick on bullets. Yeah, yeah. Fingerprints only don't the stick trigger. On only on the only on the trigger. That's the only place you can get a fingerprint <laughs> from. So as long as he didn't touch that, which I, and then I also love too, because he knows that Lara has disregarded his previous instructions about, you know, he told her not to not to tell people that she was alive because he wanted to he wanted to save the surprise and see everyone's reaction, which she doesn't follow his orders. But he pulls the shotgun out, looks at it, and he's like, "This has definitely got to be the murder weapon." And then just puts it away and goes, okay, I'm going to leave. I'll send some guys back to pick that up tomorrow. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> like if she was the murderer or if she was in connection with the with the person that was the murderer, like, that she would take that and get rid of it. And then, then when he comes, that would almost be a very interesting plot if she was the killer and then make the cop look like he's crazy. Like, he comes back the next day and he's like, no, I swear the... The gun was in here. It was here last night, and she. It, could, which is still like be, kind of a plot hole. Yeah, she could be like. If he, oh, if I don't he know. found the gun without her around, that would be kind of interesting to put the gun back to pretend like yeah. you haven't found it, and then when you show up later to, to confiscate the gun or something. But yeah, yeah, I'll get it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I'll, 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 yeah. When he's just like, I'll send some guys later to come get it. Uh, I'm gonna go home now. <laughs> I was like, well, that's this seems like <laughs> yeah. an emergency thing. Like, get this to somebody right now. Uh, but yeah, then uh, then Waldo comes in and, and yeah, we we pretty much find out yeah his motives were uh, pretty much as he said if no if he couldn't have her forever then no one can and that's why he wanted to kill her. She does get that final shot off and blows the grandfather clock up. It's all isn't it like also heard in the shot where like the opening shot where it's just the the photo of her. Yeah. Which, do you think that this has anything to do... Do you think this inspired Twin Peaks at all? Makes me think of Twin Peaks a lot. I mean, it's got the... It's got the name right there, too, Laura. Laura Palmer. <laughs> but it's that same thing of, like, zooming in on the on her class photo. It's the same as, like, yeah. the Laura painting. I mean, yeah, there's... Uh, like, And I then there's... it's like, is she dead or is she not dead? Yeah. Yeah, there's very clear... Uh, yeah, this this movie definitely has inspirations as you can see in a lot of uh, a lot of film and TV that came after it like we said uh, even something like Gone Girl where it, you know changes the plot halfway through and turns out that the person we've thought's dead the entire time actually isn't uh, to you know Poker Face that has an entire episode that's basically the the end scene of this movie where you know someone should be somewhere that they're not because they recorded a recorded themselves earlier and replayed it when they were as basically used that as an alibi because i guess that was that was probably his uh that would have been his plan i guess even though i I guess they revealed it so it wouldn't work but it almost seems like that's his cover is by telling people like oh yeah i was doing my radio show but they say at the end of the radio show like you heard him on recording like he definitely wasn't here right now so that, that doesn't work for his his plot if that was his idea but yeah, you can what do they see... say? There's there's always a slip up, and it's his job to find the slip up. Yeah, that's what he's there for. Yeah, this this movie definitely is inspired a lot of things, and yeah, Twin Peaks. I would say that that doesn't surprise me at all. That's that definitely see. I mean, a, a lot of uh, a lot of David Lynch's stuff is very noir esque. He he definitely. I would I would say that's probably the the genre that has inspired more of his stuff than anything else. Like he gets into weird things that are kind of horror related, but in the end every everything he does feels like a a neo noir basically. Even the stuff that's more like, you know, most people probably wouldn't necessarily think of noir when they think of like a racer head, but that kind of like dark black and white cinematography of that film and that kind of look to it was definitely probably inspired by this as well. But yeah. Phenomenal movie too. 
Yeah, yeah I mean, a... yeah, it's crazy. Because, like, the equivalent now of film noir, what they were experiencing with how much film noir would be the superhero genre, I think, now. But are we at, like, the touch of evil stage of the superhero genre? <laughs> where, where it's dying <laughs> off. Yeah, was it... Were there were there people in the were there people in the fifties writing about noir fatigue? They have to be. <laughs> Somebody back there that was like, if I have to see one more damn film noir coming out. <laughs> yeah, I mean every genre. Well, has it gets its... to a point where it's like a parody when it's not. Yeah, They're, you're just seeing the same plots and that's that's just it's like the the Hallmark Christmas movies that keep reusing the same plots. Yeah, everyone every yeah everyone brings up the superhero stuff. I mean, every genre I feel like has its it's place that you can go back and say like oh that was definitely the peak of that genre where it happened and then you'll still get bits and pieces of it later it's the same with westerns i mean those kind of peaked in they were they were that was the earliest thing is almost all the early beginning movies were a lot of westerns uh and then it kind of peaked in the uh getting into like the 50s with you know john wayne and then, but then later you just had you had very little you know You'd get the spaghetti westerns every once in a while, or Clint Eastwood was still making westerns into the '90s, but that's a genre. That I'd probably be sick of it then down. too. It just sucks that you get like a good western or neo noir like every five years now. Like it, oh, yeah. it's so infrequent. And the superhero genre, I think it's it's actually a little bit more it's more stable and able to survive because they're able to take subgenres. And mix it really well with superheroes. Like we've all we've almost seen. Well, there's probably what the noir superhero, the western superhero. We saw the heist I mean, films that are superhero. Superhero. He's called Spider-Man Noir. He's in. He's in the Spider Verse. Maybe. Maybe one day he'll get his own uh, movie. Yeah, when they're running out of ideas. Yeah. Once they once they've exhausted all the other Spider-Man ideas they have. But like you couldn't do that stuff back in the day. Like what were their other genres like? They did do noir westerns. Those those do exist, and there's some really good ones. But like, what else? You have like the noir musical, the, the, noir, the noir comedy. comedy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, some of them are actually kind of funny. I, but intentionally, I don't know, because usually when they're intentionally a comedy that in that era, it's like the slapstick. Yeah. Again, it's one that'll never go away with uh, film noir. It always pops up every once in a while or there's just there's just shades of it in everything i mean I, like we said david lynch but another one would probably be um like the coen brothers how many of their movies are basically noir movies with different kind of settings Shit. and different kinds even of, their comedies yeah you, yeah they did the they were <laughs> the ones that did a noir comedy it's called the big lebowski like <laughs> Or even the, yeah, even the other ones like something like Barton Fink or something like that are still filled with a lot of comedy and noir type elements in them. So, uh, there, yeah, I guess there. If we're if we're saying who did noir comedy, I guess it really is. Uh, it really is the Coen Brothers have have perfected that art. But uh, yeah, like I said, it's it's. I think it is one that can uh, almost because it is more of a uh, like that's that's always been everyone always questions is is noir a genre or is it a style. And I would lean a little bit more towards, I would sometimes describe it more as a style than a, a genre. I know it gets lumped together, but uh, again, that, that is proof there that you can do do a noir style, but have it like more of a genre comedy type film with something uh, like a lot of their films. But the It's wild because I, they really can't, I, I've read a couple of film noir books and it's so loose that they can't i mean you get an opinion from one person that's like is it style is it genre i can see how it's genre with this collective ideas but it doesn't have to follow all the rules so yeah. you could have i think though where it kind of in my opinion might lean more towards genre than style is that you can have something that looks like a film noir with zero like it could be have all the hard lighting and everything and be a straight up comedy. Yeah, well, that would be uh, a lot of people consider uh, like Day the Earth Stood Still is very, very like noir style, like like noir lighting. It has that. Yeah, it has that, but it has absolutely zero film noir elements. It's a straight up alien invasion movie. It's like right, and I wouldn't consider that a noir. Yeah, it just has the. It just uses the the lighting technique basically and then you get a lot of neo-noir now where it 
it doesn't look anything like a noir. It's literally the story. It's only yeah. connection is the story and how the story is told. They literally like strip everything away, and uh, you get a lot of these detective stories that are. Uh, I mean that that kind of gets brought up as kind of a, a subgenre too, where you can have a detective story, and the detective story is not considered film noir. Yeah, with taking like all of the style elements out, that's how I would describe uh, uh, Poker Face. Like it has it has literally zero film noir style elements at all, but the stories are all film noir you know type well isn't that too like heavily inspired by Columbo yes it takes from that 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 is more almost the visual style of that of that show is more uh is more straight up Columbo I mean nothing against it but I think what happens is this thing is influenced by this thing that influences this thing that influences this thing so when you're a couple generations away from it yeah, Laura is there, but it's it's already becoming the other things <laughs> from in between. Yeah. Now I have the Columbo theme in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I own this movie from Hollywood Video Days, and I actually just watched it on the Criterion channel. Apparently, the Criterion channel only had a black and white version, but apparently there is a colorized version, too. No, like, I've seen images of it, so, like, there, there is. I don't know when it came out or who wanted it. It makes me think of uh, It's a Wonderful Life, which, like, I, will n- I never watched the colorized version. I don't think ever. It's just too weird to me. <laughs> it just doesn't feel right. Uh, yeah. I guess there's also, like, an extended version of this movie that has, like, one extra scene in it that I'm not... I don't even know what the scene really is. It's something... Uh, I don't know, it's it something I think they, they said they added to, like, uh, I don't know, it was, like, just an, uh, just an extra thing of um, Jean Tierney, like, looking beautiful or something like that, or it was almost trying to, try to make her look more like more like some sort of, like, idol or something like that. I don't know, maybe to make you, maybe be like, oh, this is why everyone is obsessed with her or something like that, but the version that I have on uh, on DVD is just the, just the regular version. I don't think, like, I, I don't feel like it's, it's, in there sometimes as an extended version but it's not like a like the director or anything was like oh yeah I really wish that scene had been in or something like that I mean it could be like Metropolis where that first cut that was really limited only went out to a few places and then the like the mass produced cut they cut that scene out so that's probably why people have like a mixed memory of it that shit keeps happening it makes me think of the Goonies like the octopus scene and shit and it's like, I remember that scene, but that scene was only on the Disney Channel or some shit like that. Like, it wasn't even in the theater. Then you just sound crazy because you're like, yo, yeah, the octopus. They're like, there's no fucking octopus in that movie. You're like, there is. <laughs> there was a scene where where they were there. with Laura that was trying to make us obsessed with her. No, there wasn't. <laughs> messes with us. Yeah. I think, too, when did the Hayes Code start? Uh... Is that It's in the 40s, I thought. Somewhere around this, yeah. It kind of, like, makes things a little bit more creative, but then also really fucks things up for the United States and makes things, like, dull. You'll watch, like, a foreign film, and you'll be like, holy shit, they can get away with doing all that stuff. You watch the French films from, like, the 40s, and it's like, whoa. Yeah. They were allowed to talk about that? (laughs) They actually blew someone's head off with a shotgun. It ran from 1934 to 1968. I knew it was crazy. Well, actually, because when we were doing uh, Rosemary's Baby, that was one of the first movies that didn't have to follow the the Hayes Code. Yeah, yeah. So that would have been just just right at the right at the end of it. And then, yeah. yeah. Then you have like the Bonnie and Clyde, and yeah. I mean, something else. I know that's you, why, that uh, led all into like the Godfathers and shit. So like, yeah. we we really started like amping it up when that was done. There, there's good stuff. I feel like because uh, I know. Um, that's why Quentin Tarantino says the '50s was the worst time period for, for films. Like he he hates all movies. He pretty much I think hates any movies that came during the during the time of the code. But I mean, there's there's good ones out there. I feel like he over exaggerates a little bit when he well, like when he sci-fi and horror is probably the strongest because I think of Twilight Zone and what Rod Serling yeah. got away with. He's, I mean, it's it's subtle, I guess, 
but not that. Like, I don't understand how people didn't get the subtext for a lot of the Twilight Zone episodes. So, I don't know. But there were a lot of good people that were great with it. Like, Hitchcock is another great one where he puts in all these, like, subtle things. I think of, like, North by Northwest where, like, he insinuates sex by having the the train go in the tunnel, you know? Yeah, so there were people doing stuff. Like I said, I feel like I feel like Tarantino over exaggerates a little when he says like, no, there like he pretty much, it, like when he talks about stuff, he's like, no good movies came out in the fifties or something like that. And I'm like, there was plenty of good movies coming out in the fifties. There's just, yeah, they they might have been. Some of them were definitely uh, definitely a lot more you know things you couldn't say or do, but uh, they weren't violent enough for him. Yeah, what's like? That I do admire how like, strong of an opinion thing. that he. He's he does subtle, have like, probably the strongest opinion of, like, almost any person. But yeah. Like, almost any other person that you, that they'll talk about, no one talks about, like, things being terrible. Like, yeah. you'll get a Christopher Nolan, and he's like, oh, yeah, it's it's fantastic. I, you know, I love Diary of a Wimpy Kid or you know, some shit like that. And then Tarantino's like, oh, yeah, that was a terrible fucking movie. Uh, if you want to see a great movie, you got to see like Rolling Thunder. Like that's that's the shit, you know. And he did. He loved uh, a lot of the the French New Wave movies, so it makes sense. You can see this on Criterion Channel. I'm sure you can buy it almost fucking anywhere. Yeah, I think it was on. Like, um, was I would like, o- Prime Video for like three dollars or something like that. Like it was on it. It was on any of those things. It's not. It's not streaming anywhere other than uh, the Criterion Channel. Like it's not on Netflix or anything, but. I'm really surprised it's not on Netflix. I don't know. Well, they, I don't. Uh, know. I'm not really surprised by that. I'm not that surprised. I'm I'm surprised it's not on anything else as like a a readily available thing. But I don't know. Maybe Criterion Channel's just got those exclusive rights to it for now. It's super cheap to just like always have it on the channel. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I I've watched it on the channel before, just because it was better quality than the DVD that I have. So I was surprised when I rewatched this. I also watched it on the channel. I was surprised that it was still there. Although we did just get through November, so maybe it was up for that, I guess. I don't know. Well, that's the thing too. Like I saw noir movies and I saw in like 1945 he did Fallen Angel, so I watched that first. So I was fresher with Laura in my mind. Yeah. But they were a little bit too similar. They had a lot of the same cast. And it did muddle things together. And I'm like, I think I was pretty good during this episode. But there were a lot of things where I'm like, because the detective in this is a con artist in Fallen Angel. And uh, there's a person that gets murdered halfway through the movie. <laughs> so, like, it's it, it's it's really fucks with your memory because it's a little bit, it's like just a hair off from like everything that you're seeing in Laura. It literally is, hey, Laura worked. Can we do Laura too? And they're like, I'll try. I'll try my best. And I think it's not probably as talked about because it's, I don't think it's as good, but it's not a bad movie. Yeah. But yeah, check out the Criterion channel. They have all the like classic noirs, you know, Scarlet Street and things like that. I I love noir. I I wish there was more of it, but. If you see it nowadays, it if they try to do a straight-up noir, it just feels like a parody film. A parody of something that modern audiences don't care about, I, I guess. Yeah. Like, the closest thing I can think of it being, like, classic noir was probably, like, Sin City. Yeah, which, I mean, even that's basically a... That's it's still pretty much a parody, because it's still... it's It knows that it's, a, that it's a film noir, and it plays with those ideas of kind of being goofy with the with those film noir's ideas so it, it still it still is basically a parody of film noir in a lot of ways but um yeah i can't think of i can't think of anyone else that that yeah like you're saying does like like it's not a parody but it is a parody <laughs> like it's not intentionally supposed to be making fun of it it's supposed to be a celebration an homage to it but yeah it just it seems like a joke at that at that point but I, I still don't get people when they're like, I I hate film noir. Film noir is my least favorite genre. I think it's too wide of a, like you said, like you think of it as style. It's so big that like you can find totally different things in that noir genre. Yeah. 
an- like another two of the biggest ones. Maltese Falcon. I fucking love Maltese Falcon. And that's like the beginning of film noir. So all the stuff that is kind of subtle for what's to come. And then you get the things like Double Indemnity, which is probably my favorite film noir. It's probably the most popular film noir too, I think. And uh, that's like hard. That's like peak film noir, you know? That's like, it's got everything, the lighting and all the story beats that are consi- you know, part of the film noir. It's just a good, well, it's, I think that's probably why Lara popped up is because as soon as you, as soon as I hear murder, it's just like, oh, film noir. That's always got a murder. It's always got to be some sort of murder going on there. Yeah, or even if it's not based around the murder, there's still murder. There's a murder. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're trying to make money, like Chinatown. Like, they're trying to make a bunch of money off of people, but there's, like, murder. Murder still happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, murder. they can't get their way without a little bit of murder. I mean, as I guess they have noirs where the people are missing, or you get a lot of those, like, Cold War. Cold War. I said that really weird. The Cold War noirs where there's, like, some, like, I think of, like, I guess maybe I'm getting more into like espionage it probably starts yeah. to become more spy thrillers and stuff like that more, but uh, i mean there's hey, a lot of noirs that are close to had, that uh, we even talked about it just this year there's there's a there can be a noir sports movie like the setup that that that, that movie actually doesn't have any murder in it but it has like what's the noir the, with the atomic bomb like the atomic bomb in it i try to i can't remember what it's called I, the one where like Tarantino stole it, hid the idea from Pulp Fiction, where they open the suitcase and the lights just on their face. I don't remember what the name of it is. Like, I, I, I think it's one I've never seen, but I, yeah, I know I've like, I've probably heard. Of and it's super popular, problems. but yeah, it's a, it's a noir, but it's, it's like borderline. It's got an espionage plot, but the story that we're following is a very film noir story, yeah. and the espionage plot is literally what has to be uncovered. So it's really walking a, a tight line between these two genres. I'm going to have to add it after the fact. They're like, my brain is like a mush of things half the time. So yeah. I'd, I'd see the title and be like, yeah, that's it. That's it. Like I even, it was on something recently where people were watching it and I'm like, the title didn't come up. I knew exactly what movie it was, but I'm like, I can't remember like, and I'm not that good with these older actors like the 40s actors and stuff like i'll pick up i'm more likely to be like that actor was in this movie you know that that guy was the boss in this movie he was the the head of the newspaper in this movie but i will never fucking remember their name unless they're like like notorious for some reason yeah go watch it it's always my final thought is just go watch it man not always. Uh, well, yeah. yeah I don't want to throw anyone under the bus because they're not here, but sometimes I'd be like, mm, maybe don't watch that movie. <laughs> not, I couldn't recommend. Movies, I mean, you can't judge the movie without seeing it. So you sh- if any, like all of our episodes, yeah, probably watch the movie and then tune in because I'm sure sometimes when we're having these discussions, they're really not for people who haven't seen the movie because we're just jumping around and... We're not really, like, setting up things like, here's the plot, and then this act, this happens. So you get what you get. We're Cinema Demore. We'll be back next week with more murder, two more murder episodes. Our Christmas episode is semi-murder. Murder never happens, even though it should happen, because the protagonist is a murderer that can't kill anybody because... He's up against a bunch of, like, Jason Voorhees-type people that just won't die. That You know, that's how I feel about it. And then I think we're building up next year, and I'm really kind of excited about it, even though most of the year's already been decided for me, and I kind of like to choose things, like, a couple months ahead of time. But I'll have to be locked and loaded and ready to go. Like, our, we have, like our, like, our December of next year, we have that theme. I made my pick, which I think is a good pick that I want to revisit and discuss. But, like, last night I saw Godzilla Minus One, and I'm like, yeah, it could, it fits that genre. <laughs> it could really be that genre if you, if they wanted it to be. I don't think you made a pick yet, Chuck, so if you want to, <laughs> it totally is open. Save it for uh, a rainy day. 
thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. I. We are Cinema Demore. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with news and information on upcoming episodes. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Pandora, Alexa, or iHeartRadio. It would be greatly appreciated if you subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice. We also appreciate feedback, so rate us, review us, and let us know what you think. And above all else, thank you for listening. I'll just throw this on at the end of the episode. Kiss Me Deadly is the film noir that we were talking about. It's directed by Robert Aldrich from 1955. Definitely check it out if you haven't.